0: Government manipulation on COVID, this is in the Telegraph. Life inside the fear factory. How the government keeps us on high alert. Foreign holidays are back. (laughs) So said the headlines last week when the government's green list of safe countries was revealed. Not so fast, warned ministers. (laughs) Telling the public going abroad was dangerous. And is not for this year. Confused? That's because you're meant to be, says Laura Dodsworth, who has spent the past year investigating the government's use of behavioural psychology for her book, A State of Fear. When you create a state of confusion, people become ever more reliant on the messaging, she says. Instead of feeling confident about making decisions, they end up waiting for instructions from the government. This week's chaotic and contradictory advice on travel is all part of the growing use of fear. To control the public, she believes, a tactic which has been supercharged by the COVID pandemic. Reminds me very much of what the government was doing at Christmas. When Christmas was on. And then off. Then on again. then off again you've got someone tightening the screw then loosening the screw then tightening again it's like a torture technique who who is also the latest guest on the telegraph's planet normal podcast believes that the technique infantilizes the public and enables the government to control behavior without having to use unpopular legislation like making holidays illegal. It may at first glance have the feel of a conspiracy theory, but in the course of her research, has only has not only uncovered what she says is evidence of the industrial-scale use of behavioural science in Whitehall, but also has spoken to practitioners who believe it has gone way too far. One told her they were stunned by the weaponisation of fear by Whitehall, Dodsworth says, I fervently hope this book is actually going to inspire a much needed conversation about the use of fear, not just in the epidemic, but the way we use behavioural psychology overall. It's not just a genie that has been let out of the bottle. It's like we've unleashed a hydra and you can keep chopping its head off, but they keep employing more of these be- behavioural scientists throughout different government departments. It's very much how the government now does business. It's the business of fear. Dodsworth. Sa- off on her quest after being struck by an now infamous minute of a scientific advisory group for emergencies, SAGE, meeting last March, it noted that a subgroup of SAGE, SPY-B, the scientific pandemic influenza group on behaviours, had warned that many people still do not feel sufficiently personally threatened and that the perceived level of personal threat needs to be increased. This has become Exhibit A in the case against the government's use of alleged covert psychological strategies. but Dodsworth found multiple branches of the state employing similar methods. There is the Behavioural Insights Team, better known as the Nudge Unit, that's connected to the Cabinet Office, which has become so successful it is now a semi-independent body advising other countries on how to use nudge theory to the greatest effect. Less well known is the Home Office's Research Information and Communications Unit, which, according, do, according to Dodsworth, attempts to covertly engineer the thoughts of people by providing support to bodies seen by the public as grassroots organisations. There is also the Rapid Response Unit based in Number Ten of the Cabinet Office. We just mentioned that, and the counter disinformation cell attached to the Department for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport, both of which monitor social media and tackle fake news, including Dodsworth claims YouTube videos by doctors who contradict the World Health Organisation guidance on COVID. There's also, um, there we're just about to mention it, and I've seen it in the article. I'll get to that then. GCHQ has been involved in combating anti-vaccine messaging, Dodsworth suggests, and military personnel, she claims, are also being used to rebut private citizens who challenge lockdown on social media. She says some people believe they have been targeted by the 77th Brigade. That's why I was going to mention. Part of the 6th Division of the Army, which, according to the Ministry of Defence, uses legitimate non military levers as a means to adapt behaviours of those of the opposing forces and adversaries. When she inquired about the activities of some of these bodies, I hit a brick wall, she says, and I find that when someone puts up a brick wall, it's because that's where the real story lies. In her book, A State of Fear, Dodsworth claims that there are behavioural insights teams operating within at least 10 government departments. Her research has made her deeply suspicious of even the most innocent-looking good news story about the government's work. I interviewed someone who had worked for one of the agencies that works with RICU, she says. They explained that after the London Bridge terror attack, There were lots of bunches of flowers left at the scene, but some of them were delivered officially before the emotional outpouring from the public. It was fascinating. So when I read a newspaper article saying the nurse who delivered the first vaccination in the UK is backing a national thank you day for key workers, I wonder which government department is behind it. The idea of having a day where we are all going to be thanking people for the vaccine feels a bit staged, a bit stalinist even with the success of the vaccine rollout and the decline in covid deaths the government might have been expected to quietly dial down issues of fear but dodgworth believes it is as prevalent as ever the cabinet office is recruiting three new behavioural scientists this week she says it's growing and growing right now i feel we are in a maelstrom of nudge for Dodsworth, the state of fear appears to be something of a new direction, having made her name as a photographer with her three bare reality books in which she snapped men and women naked and interviewed them about their bodies. She insists, however, that there was a common thread running through her work. What I'm interested in is what makes us who we are, and I'm interested in the taboos. This is really in keeping with the kind of investigative social documentary work I've done. <laughs> She says, although she supports the vaccination program and believes people should be encouraged to get the jab, she believes the government is going about it in entirely the wrong way. They like to use the term vaccine hesitant, which implies that people are hesitating before coming to an inevitable conclusion, she says. They're also fear-bombing people over the Indian variant, then love-bombing the vaccine rollout using carrot and stick to drive the vaccine take-up. People need to be given the facts so they can come to an informed decision, not being demonised. Doddsworth accepts that for many people, desperate times call for desperate measures, meaning some will feel the use of fear was entirely justified if it meant saving lives, but what she cannot accept is that fear has been used to control the behaviour of the British people without their consent or knowledge. Uh, I added, or knowledge, but that's the situation. If this was an experiment in a psychology lab, we would have signed consent forms. She says this has not been given full ethical consideration. In the past, there have been calls to consult the public on the use of behavioural psychology and those calls have come from the behavioural scientists themselves and yet it has not happened. We have not yet been consulted on the use of subconscious techniques which effectively strip away our choices. The other problem with fear is it creates collateral damage We tanked We've tanked the economy. People have lost their jobs and businesses have closed. One in eight adults have developed moderate to severe depression during lockdown. So I think there were a lot of problems with the politics of fear, but really fundamentally, I think it undermines democracy. She does not, however, see any future government reigning in the use of behavioural psychology as it is popular with all parties. Libertarians quite like nudge, she says. They like it because it avoids the state having to legally mandate. So, for instance, the government's saying they're not going to mandate COVID passports, but they won't stop businesses doing it. Well, it ends up getting you into the same place. The left like nudge because they don't really seem to trust people to make the right decisions. And we have to remember Dominic Cummings said at an event a couple of years ago that the future is behavioural psychology and data analytics. Just look at how elections have been won most recently. Doddsworth is fiercely patriotic, but has concluded that in Britain we're a little bit too biddable. We want to be quiet and to be good and to do the right thing, and it's very difficult to stand out and be different. The herd mentality has been really encouraged through the use of behavioural psychology. I think, ultimately, people don't want to be manipulated. People don't enjoy being hoodwinked, and they don't want to live in a state of fear. We maybe need to be a bit bolder about standing up more quickly when something is not right. Absolutely right. We do. Well government covid policy is not being driven by doctors and medical specialists it's being driven by psychologists and social engineering the woman who was responsible for masks in public places is a woman uh, in britain is a woman called susan mikey who was a behavioral psychologist social engineering organizations like the tavistock institute for human relations in London and the Frankfurt School or the Institute for Social Research in the first few decades of the 20th century, the Frankfurt School was. Study human psychology and what makes humans tick and what makes humans act and not act and react. And from that research and knowledge, devise methodologies or advise the use of methodologies to achieve the cult's agenda. Long-time listeners will know what I mean by the cult. I talk about the most significant part of this cult in episode 59, part 2. The real innermost core. But there's also the elite, as some people call them, more the 1% or less than 1%. And together, they have been over generations advancing an agenda for the total control of human society on every level. Of not just human society, but the human being the human form. This is the agenda I have been talking about since pay-per-view began in 2018, well nearly 15 years now but in terms of pay-per-view since 2018 and I lay it all out in detail in pay-per-view in print available at pay-per-view.uk. I want to talk about a methodology of psychological and behavioral manipulation known as Biedermann's or Biedermann's chart of coercion which describes how you can make someone do what you desire for them to do without it being obvious that you're actually manipulating and controlling them. It was originally used on prisoners of war, by the way. So see if you recognise this in the past over a year now. Method. Isolation. Effect and purpose. Deprives the victim of all social support, of their ability to resist. Develops an intense concern with self. This could be home environment makes victim dependent. Variance. (laughs) How appropriate. Variance. Complete solitary confinement. Complete or partial isolation. Group isolation. In other words, variance in this context means how you do it, how that plays out. Monopolisation of perception. Fixes attention upon immediate predicament. In other words, everything's COVID. Eliminates information not in compliance with demands. Social media punishes independence and or resistance. And the, ver- the where that plays out is physical isolation, darkness or bright light. Focus, that is. Restricted movement, monotonous food. And watch the food shortages that's coming up and they want to make a move for synthetic food because they want a synthetic human form, as I've talked about before. Humiliation and degradation. Makes resistance more costly than compliance. Animal level concerns. Personal hygiene prevented. Demeaning punishments. Insults and taunts. Denial of privacy. Track and trace. Exhaustion. Weakens mental and physical ability to resist. Has that not happened in the last over a year? Semi-starvation. Sleep deprivation. Prolonged interrogation. Overexertion. Threats. Creates anxiety and despair. Outlines cost of non-compliance Threats to kill Threats of abandonment or non-return Threats against family Vague threats Mysterious changes of treatment Occasional indulgences Positive motivation for compliance Hinders adjustment to deprivation Occasional favours Rewards for partial compliance Promises And we have seen that in the past over a year For example, they say they're going to open up in the summer Or they're going to allow people to have Christmas and then they either break that promise, which has a, an emotional or psychological impact, or they allow you to have that partial reward with uh, knowing that there'll be more of the same manipulation and control later on. Demonstrating omnipotence suggests futility of resistance, confrontation, showing complete control over victim's face. Showing complete control over victim's face, masks... Forcing trivial demands, develops habit of compliance, enforcement and rules. And that is exactly why we have all these contradictory rules. They want people to see that the rules don't make sense. They want them to see that they are apparently, not really, not ultimately, but apparently incompetent and just making a mess of it. Because if people can see that, but they still do what they're told to do, then they are developing a habit of compliance. It's this document says so basically if they can get people to do things they know are ridiculous then they'll do anything basically that's the idea and this method of psychological manipulation originally used on prisoners of war is now being played out globally and I mentioned well the document mentions monopolizing information and of course social media plays its role in that and it plays its role in social engineering the Clap for Carers social movement, which is mentioned in the, the article that I read, was promoted on social media by the use of memes. Anyone wonder where those memes came from originally? Does anyone think someone just randomly had the idea to post those memes? They were posted to have the effect that they had. You know, people, oh, Clap for Carers, yeah, that's a good idea, yeah, I'll share that, yeah. And then it, it, they spread, and it ends up with people clapping every week for carers in hospitals that were empty, which citizen journalists were filming and proving that they were empty. And I've seen this before in other other situations, random memes appear on social media and lots of people see them and they are promoting the idea of something perfect from a social engineering perspective for the culture gender. When people answer questions in Facebook games and do quizzes on Facebook, answering questions about themselves, where do people think that information is going? In pay-per-view, in print, I detail some of the many, because there are so many, connections Silicon Valley has to the military intelligence networks. Social media allows for tracking, profiling, surveillance, social engineering, and censorship of anything challenging official narratives. So people only see and hear one narrative. So perfect are these social media platforms from the cult's perspective. It would not be unreasonable to suggest that they were created by the military intelligence networks for those very purposes. The military intelligence networks also owned by the cult. And it would not be unreasonable because that's exactly what happened. The phrase vaccine hesitant was used in in the article that I read. And phrases like vaccine hesitancy and anti-vax come from this social engineering I'm talking about, and psychologists who know how to use words and phrases, buzzwords to manipulate perception. That's one of the key ways perception is manipulated. By create thinking of these buzzwords, and then all of a sudden everybody's using it. When something comes out of nowhere and is suddenly everywhere, it's the agenda, almost every time, and it's all part of groupthink, which is a manipulation technique. Organisations like Common Purpose, a charity so-called, which runs what they call leadership development programmes. In truth, they train law enforcement to be the officious and rules is rules groupthink hive mind that many people in law enforcement are. Groupthink in the context of anti-vaxxer means demonising anti-vaxxers to discredit them without even looking at any information they might present or listening to their argument. If you can manipulate people into groupthink, then as soon as someone is labelled as an anti-vaxxer, they are immediately discredited. That's the idea behind it. And I have to say, and I might I might have mentioned this before, but it's worth mentioning again. I see people who were anti-vaxxers or climate change deniers or COVID deniers who deny that that's what they are. They hide behind, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but... They feel they have to preface everything they say about vaccines with I'm mean, not an anti-vaxxer. But every time they open their mouth or type something, they have to start with that. I've seen it. The definition of anti-vaxxer means nothing more than a person who is opposed to vaccination, typically a parent who does not wish to vaccinate their child. That's all it means. That's it. It's been made into this poisonous term. All it means Is someone who is opposed to vaccination, for example, a parent who does not wish to vaccinate their child. That's all it means. So parents who say, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but who refuse to vaccinate their child because they've got suspicions about, and they've done some research into vaccines, are anti-vaxxers by the definition of the term. They might deny it, that's what they are, but they are. So, why deny it? I'll tell you why. The fear of backlash and consequences from people they know. I don't have a problem being labelled an anti batcher because I am an anti batcher by the definition of the term. And, you know, I've talked about labels before and how the goal is to get everybody to think in terms of labels because that plays into groupthink. And if you identify with a the label, then you're identifying with a very narrow set of criteria of what you really are, and that then encourages and engineers a, a groupthink situation. But going by the definition of the term, I am an anti I'm Not, I'm not going to run away from it. I am a COVID denier and I'm a human-caused climate change denier. As anyone who reads pay-per-view in print will see in which I undergo a demolition job on the hoax of human-caused climate change. And I talk about it more in a new book I'm writing at the moment. I also seriously Seriously challenge COVID-19 in this new book and I talk about germ theory versus terrain theory and talk in depth about the lack of science behind viruses in a, in a, an understandable way but a comprehensive way. The article talks about the different political parties in Britain who are all on the same page regarding COVID policy and it's become more obvious than ever now that we live in a one-party state. The Labour Party in Britain would impose... Even more draconian fascism than the present Conservative Party, and yet they're called the opposition, laughably. Politics is not going to change this situation and overturn this fascism. The people have to do it because we have the numbers. A minuscule number of people cannot impose fascism on several tens of millions of people unless those several tens of millions comply with the fascism. If we stop complying, they will stop imposing eventually. Because there will be no point anymore in the imposition of the fascism, because people in vast numbers are not going to comply with fascism anyway, so they'll be wasting their time. The balls in our court, the power they have is the power we've given them. If we take it back and keep it, the game's up.